today's reading will be found in Genesis chapter 4. Um, we will go through the entirety of Genesis chapter 4 today. Um, while you're turning there, let me pray for um, our reading and um, the word of God. Father, we come to you and we thank you that you have revealed your son, Jesus Christ, to us. Not only in the Gospels and the epistles of the New Testament and in the Revelation of John, but also in the Old Testament and the books of Moses and the Psalms of David and the word of the prophets and the wisdom of Solomon, that you have shown us Jesus Christ throughout your revealed revelation, throughout redemptive history. Father, as we approach this passage today, we pray that it would teach us more and more to look to our Savior, Jesus Christ, more and more to rest in him, and that it would give us, a, give us the confidence that you have made your promise to us, that you have kept your promises throughout all of Scripture, and that at the end of this fading evil age, you will come again to consummate your kingdom, to judge the living and the dead, and to wipe away every teardrop from our eyes. In Jesus' name I pray. Genesis chapter 4, but today I'm going to begin reading to give us some context in Genesis chapter 2, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 3, verse 22. So we're going to start in Genesis chapter 3, verse 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. And he drove out the man, and he drove out the man, and at the east of Eden he placed a cherubim with a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Now Adam knew why Eve, his wife, and she conceived a son and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. And Abel was, now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought, brought, an off, uh, brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel's, Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you, uh, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you, but you must, be, must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel his brother, and, they went out, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened up its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me away today from the, gr- from the ground, and, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. 
Anyone, if anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his, first, of his son, Enoch. Enoch bore, bore Irad, and Irad um, fathered Mehajel, and Mehajel fathered Methushel, and Methushel fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of one was Adah, and the name of the other was Zillah. Adah bore, bore Jabal, Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and had livestock. His brother was named Jabal, and he was the father of all who played the lyre and pipe. Zillah bore Tubal-Cain, for he was a forger of all instruments of bronze and irons. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Namah. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, you wives, of, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventyfold. Adam knew his wife again, and she bore her son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel. For Cain killed him. To Seth, all, uh, to Seth also a son was born, and he called him Enosh. And at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. Well, throughout our lives, we may, may have all experienced many firsts. And many of those firsts have brought us great joy and great excitement. Many of us might remember the first day of grade school at kindergarten. The first time we were able to ride a bike without training wheels. The first time we took out the car alone or that first time we rode on an airplane. Who could forget the first time that they fell in love? Or who could forget the first time that they held each of their newborn children? And while many of these firsts brought us great happiness and cherished moments, there have been those firsts that we wished never would have taken place. Our first spanking from mom and dad, that first time we noticed the disappointment in their eyes because of our actions, that first F on the report card that we had to bring home, the first time someone served us a bowl of gumbo with tomatoes in it, the first time we had our heart broken, actually most of those turned out to be for the better, or the first time we experienced the death of a dear loved one. It's unfortunately all too true that there are many firsts that we would rather forget. There's those firsts that cause us pain, regret, and sorrow. Perhaps it is through these types of firsts that we learn the most, which is something I've become more and more convinced of as my days go by. In my previous sermon a few weeks ago in Genesis chapter 3, we witnessed both of these types of firsts. We saw tragedy, suffering, and pain brought about by our first parents, Adam and Eve. The tragedy of our separation from our creator, the one true God. Cursed to live lives filled with difficult and often meaningless work. Having the reality of our impeding death and the impeding de impending death of our loved ones ever before us. However, in chapter 3, we also have the great joy 
of hearing for the first time the first promise of God to rescue sinners. To redeem his people by sending a champion to crush the head of the serpent, reversing the curse of sin and death. Remember that time when you first understood the gospel? The first time that your heart was opened by the Holy Spirit to hear, understand, and believe the gospel of Christ? The first time you understood grace, the truth, the truth that God had bestowed upon you unmerited favor, that your rescue had already been accomplished 2,000 years ago on that dark Friday afternoon. Knowing, Knowing in your heart that you could rest in the truth, the Apostle Paul's words in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. Knowing that this fading evil age will come to to an end and our Savior will be there waiting for us to wipe away every teardrop from our eyes. In today's passage, we are again confronted with some first-time events. We see the first act of intimacy between a husband and a wife. The first birth of a newborn child. The first formation of a family unit. The first pair of siblings. The first worship service. The first murder. The first building of a city. And going back to chapter 3, we remember that Adam and the woman were in the garden where God walked among them. They were in that bilateral covenant with God. There were conditions for each of them to meet, and if they met those conditions, they would gain access to the tree of life and live forever in perfect communion with the holy God. We saw our first parents failing that covenant test, brought about by the instigation of the serpent, being tempted with the notion that the Creator was holding them back, that they could gain access to the tree of life and live forever was that their creator was holding them back that they could set out on their own and set out on their own in the world and be like God that they could have it their way we saw paradise loss the fall the curse the loss of access to the tree of life a tragedy that would affect all of Adam's posterity the entire human race Helpful here is to go to our own Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 5, articles 2 and 3. By this sin they fell from their original righteousness and communion with God, and so became dead in sin, and wholly defiled in all the faculties and parts of soul and body. They being the root of mankind, the guilt of this sin was imputed, and the same death in sin and corrupted nature conveyed to all posterity, descending from them by original generation. From this original corruption whereby we are utterly indisposed, disabled, and made opposite to all good, and wholly inclined to all evil to precede all actual transitions. I know in many sermons I say this a lot, but I'm going to say it again. We don't, we're not sinners because we sin, but we sin because we are sinners. And that is a tragedy that affects each and every one of us today. However, in the midst of such calamity, we see that God was merciful. He did not leave us without hope. Our Lord gives us that first gospel promise in Genesis 3.15, the promise that he would establish two peoples, from one from the seed of the woman and one from the seed of the serpent. And that in God's due time, the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent, 
ending the curse of sin and death. But for the time being, Adam and the woman, along with their prosperity, were bored from the tree of life, expelled from the garden, guarded from re-entering by a cherubim with a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life, waiting for the coming of the second Adam who would bear the curse upon himself, who would die on a tree, descend to dust, and once, of all, and once for all restore access to God, causing the veil of the temple, which we know from Exodus 26, verse 1, had a cherubim sewn into it to be torn in two. And as we go through today's text with its many firsts, I want to call our attention to three things. First, I want to call our attention to Abel's obedience. Secondly, I want to call... Attention to Cain's disobedience. And finally, I want to call attention to God's faithfulness to his promise. At the beginning of chapter 4, we see that Adam knew his wife. And as a result, we see the first human birth taking place. Eve, being true to her name, the mother of the living, gives birth to his son named Cain. And almost immediately after, as if it was so close in time that they may have been twins, Eve also gives birth to a son named Abel. Now, it's important to note the significance of the given names here. In the original Hebrew language, Cain means to acquire or to possess something. This is why we see Eve, at the first mentioning of his name, proclaim that I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. However, the name Cable, on the other hand, means something akin to breath or a vapor or a fading mist or maybe even nothing. It has the connotation of perishing which is quite a prophetic name given the events that would take place in chapter 4. We are told in verse 2 that Abel was a keeper of the sheep and that Cain, a worker of the ground. And in verses 3 or three, three through 4, we see the very first worship service taking place in Scripture. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Now, to those of us familiar with the New Testament may recall Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 and 29, which states the following. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For God is a consuming fire. And when we consider these verses today, along with the events taking place in chapter 4, two things become perfectly clear. One, that there is a right way and a wrong way to worship God. And two, those who practice the wrong way should take heed. For our God is a consuming fire, and he desires our obedience. This not only holds true for individual Christians, but for church bodies as well. Those congregations who today see fit to bring all sorts of modern pragmatic techniques and human invention into their worship should beware. At least the Lord come and remove their lampstand as he warned he would do to the church at Ephesus. We should be diligent in holding ourselves, our elders, and pastors accountable for what takes place between that call to worship and the benediction. And we can see here the care that Abel, the first herdsman, 
had by bringing the very best of what he had to offer to God. The first fruits of his flock and the fattest portions. And we read that Cain brought to God the fruit of the ground. Moses goes on to tell us that God had regard for Abel's offering, but had no regard for Cain's offering. Now a lot of ink has been spilled here over the exact reason that God regarded Abel's sacrifice while having no regard for Cain's. Some have even speculated that God may, be, may have been a little harsh here with Cain, that Cain may have been unaware of what constituted proper offerings in worship. I find that reasoning very difficult to believe. We have to remember, we have to remember that Cain and Abel were the firstborn sons of Adam and Eve, our first parents. Parents who clearly understood the dire consequences of disobeying God. They had once walked with God in the garden. And now as a result of their disobedience, they were now separated from their creator. And realized that they were still alive today only because of God's promise of grace. However, their lives would be difficult. Filled with all sorts of misery and death. It's quite safe to assume that Cain and Abel were some of the most well-catechized children ever to walk the face of the earth. So why Abel's blood sacrifice and not Cain's fruit of the ground? Now we would be amiss not to remember that in chapter 3 when Adam and Eve first noticed they were naked, they felt it necessary to gather fig leaves and sew loincloths for themselves to cover up their nakedness. But after the pronouncement of the curse and the promise, we see that fig leaves were not sufficient to cover their sin. God, for the first time in the Bible, sheds blood in order to cover Adam and Eve's sin with animal skins, pointing us to the reality that sin would be conquered through the shedding of blood of our promised Redeemer. Going back to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. Indeed, Under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. But without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Being the sons of Adam and Eve, both Cain and Abel, would have been well acquainted with this sign and with its significance. And if we look at our New Testament today, we get an even more direct and fuller explanation as to why God found Abel's sacrifice acceptable. Once more, one more time. Well, maybe not. Going back to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 14. By faith, by faith, Abel Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. And God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. You see, Abel brought his offering to God in faith. By faith in God's word and God's promise that one day he would send that champion, a redeemer, a second Adam, who would be bruised on the hill by the seed of the serpent, but who would ultimately crush the head of the serpent, reversing the curse of sin and death. You see, loved ones, the promise of redemption comes to us through faith. A faith that is bestowed upon us by the grace of God. A faith that relies on nothing we have done. The Apostle Paul writing in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 through 10, that glorious announcement of the clarity of the gospel. 
For grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not of your doing, it is a gift from God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast, but we are his workmanship, created in Jesus Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Going back again, Hebrews chapter 11. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. You see, it's by faith that Abel's obedience to to the Lord was manifest. And that obedience was regarded by God as good because God sees the heart. He knows what's there. And in Abel, he saw his faith. Tragically, tragically, the same cannot be said for the brother of Abel, Cain. Brings us to our second point, the disobedience of Cain. In the beginning of our chapter, we learn that Cain was the firstborn of Adam and Eve. And more than that, he was the first child ever born. And we can only imagine the great joy that Eve must have felt at his birth. Not only was Cain her firstborn son, but it becomes very evident that she believed that Cain was the champion that had been promised to her in Genesis 3.15. The one who would crush the head of the serpent and end their separation from the father. We know that the end of Genesis chapter 3, that Eve had faith in God's promise and therefore was referred to as the mother of all living. And we see her confidence displayed And her reaction to Cain's birth, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Like his brother Abel, Cain also brought an offering to the Lord. And we are told that the Lord had no regard for this act of worship. And while it's difficult to know fully the extent and the exact reason why Cain's worship was rejected by God, we're given some broader guidance from Scripture that points us to the root issue. We saw earlier in Hebrews that Abel's sacrifice was found acceptable to God because it was offered by faith. But because of his his faith in God's promise, he was deemed righteous. And it was through faith faith that God found Abel's worship acceptable. We see the Jude, the brother of James, announce woe unto them concerning those false teachers in the early church who, relying on their dreams, defiled the flesh, rejected authority, and blasphemed the glorious ones. For they walked in the way of Cain. We can then conclude that Cain's offering was deemed unacceptable because it was not done in faith. Cain was not offering his sacrifice because he rested in the promise of God. He was offering the fruit of the ground, the fruit of his own works, because he wanted God to notice him, to favor him, because what he was able to accomplish. Verse 5, for Cain and his offering he had no regard, so Cain was very angry and his face fell. It's helpful here once again to go back to our Westminster standards, this time the shorter catechism, question number one. What is the chief end of man? Answer. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Verse 7, God warns Cain of his impeding doom. Sin is depicted as an animal crouching at the door, ready to devour him, ready to bring him to complete ruin. Not heeding the warning of our Lord, Cain allows his sin to take hold of him. And he rises up against his brother Abel and he kills him. The world's first murder. One brother 
to another? Was it rage? Was it jealousy, hate, ambition, pride? Was it all of them? Sin had overtaken Cain and driven him to the unthinkable. The Lord asked Cain, where is your brother? And instead of repentance, instead of asking for grace and mercy and forgiveness, Cain could only respond with sarcasm. Am I my brother's keeper? Well, just like for all of us who continue in our unbelief and rebellion, judgment comes. In verse 10, the Lord said, what have you done? The very question displays the Lord's outrage. The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. And you shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Verse 13, Cain's response to the Lord. It's filled with his self-pity. It's filled with self-importance rather than repentance. Such a response only serves to magnify his unbelief. My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground. And from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. Notice now here. Cain is more afraid of physical pain and social exposure than he is of the God who created him. He fears the vengeance of his own family more than he fears God, whose holy law he had broken. And in his divine providence, the Lord put a mark of protection on Cain, forbidding anyone who would find him to bring harm upon him. Although the lion of the serpent was ultimately doomed to destruction, it would not be wiped out just yet. God was going to use Cain, the rebel, for his own divine purposes. We see Cain traveling to the land of Nod, taking himself even further east of Eden from his parents. He is allowed to marry and to start a family. And the reality of God's common grace starts to become more and more in the focus here as we see that both believers and non-believers alike are allowed the enjoyment of offspring and family. His wife gives birth to Enoch, and the first city is built. And through Cain's life and work, we see human civilization starting to take off. The trades that serve humanity start to grow. We see tent makers, who held, uh, those who held livestock, those who made music, and those who produced works of bronze and irons. We see human culture flourishing outside of the church, but we also see that sin was ever-present. Through Cain's line, by the time we get to the seventh from Adam, we see the first polygamist, Lamech. For the first time in the Bible, we see someone take two wives, boasting proudly about the murder he had committed against a younger man, boasting to his wife about such a thing, to his wives. And we see that as a result of the world's first birth, the birth of Cain, that things went sideways very quickly. And we can only think, we can only imagine Eve's disappointment. Being certain that her firstborn was the one who would end the curse and return access to the tree of life. Only to see as we read in the events in today's passage that that was not the case. It turned out that Cain was of the seed of the serpent. A murderer and a liar. And from his line came murderers 
and liars. We can only imagine the disillusionment, disillusionment of our first parents. And we need to remind, be reminded of that when we think we have providence all figured out. We need to be reminded that God often works in ways that we would never expect. And sometimes when misfortune befalls us, or things don't go the way that we thought they should, our faith can be shaken. Sometimes when we're so focused on ourselves, we can begin to think that what we perceive as our own faithfulness is not being rewarded. We can start to wonder why our works don't seem good enough. Well, there's a reason for that. They're not. It is our faith and trust in the promise of God that matters. Not what we do. Yes, we are to be obedient to the God's commands, but it is our faith that allows us to bring forth such obedience. Faith in God's promise. And although things don't go as Eve expected with Cain, we see that at the end of our passage today that God is still faithful to his promises made in Genesis 3.15. That brings us to our last point. God's faithfulness to his promise. At the conclusion of such tragic events, Moses in verse 25 and 26 takes us back in time, back to our first parents. Verse 25, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son called, called, and called his name Seth. And she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also, a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. And at that time, people, became, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. That line, the line of the seed of the woman would not be so easily broken. It would not come to an end with the death of Abel. Oh, how the serpent must have thought he had won. How he must have believed that he had thwarted God's plan of redemption. But that was not the case. You see, in our passage, you see, our passage today ends with God's faithfulness to His promise. We see that the seed of the woman would continue through the line of Seth, whose name was meant the appointed. From the third-born son of Adam would come a line of people who would call on the name of the Lord. You see, loved ones, in the midst of such tragedy, such darkness. God is always faithful to his promises. That line continued through Noah, through Abraham, through Isaac and Jacob, through Judah, through Zerah by Tamar, Obed by Ruth, from Jesse to David and all that sat on his throne. And ultimately, as Matthew tells us, to Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called the Christ. And it was the one who was called the Christ, the second Adam, who would succeed where the first Adam failed. And a covenant test, of which the serpent's test in the garden to Eve was only a foreshadow. Christ fully knowing that the cross was in his future. And Matthew chapter 4 is taken by Satan to a high mountain overlooking all of the kingdoms of the world. And he, Satan, said to him, All these I will give to you. You can have it all now. There's a shortcut to glory. Never mind that covenant you made with the Father in eternity past. There is no need for you to go to the cross. You can avoid it all. Here, only bow down and worship me 
and I will give it all to you now. Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And although he had lived that perfect, the life of perfect obedience to the law of God, Jesus Christ, our Savior, our promised champion, went to the cross willingly 2,000 years ago on that dark Friday afternoon. He was hanged on a tree, becoming a curse for us. And oh, how one more time, Satan, that serpent of old, must have thought he had won. Do you see? Do you see why the offspring of Satan hates us so much? Jesus crying out in agony. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And with his very last breath proclaiming, it is finished having paid the full penalty for the sins of those who love him, those who by faith would trust in him. As Matthew writes in chapter 27, at that moment the curtain of the temple was cut the curtain of the temple which cut off the way between God and man was torn in two. As the earth shook, shook and rocks were split, the way to the Father was now open. Three days later our Redeemer rose from the grave in which he was buried. Buried, securing for us, for his elect, victory over sin and death. The head of the serpent was crushed. Our redemption was accomplished. And in hearing this revelation today of the establishment of two peoples in redemptive history, some of you may be wondering to yourselves. Some of you may be perhaps trembling, asking yourselves, Am I of Cain or am I of Seth? If this question haunts you today, I implore you to run to the cross of Christ. Run to, run to the one who was promised from the beginning. Don't look for the answer to comfort within yourselves. Look for, to the one who has offered himself to bring you everlasting life. Look to Jesus Christ. Amen. Father, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you for the revelation of your truth. We thank you for the comfort that we can have, that knowing that all the work needed to be done for our redemption has been accomplished by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray as we go forth this week that we would keep this truth on the forefront of our mind, that it would strengthen us, that it would help us to love one another, and that we would be a neighbor to those around us, and that The blessings of your word would be ever before us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.